morning. Are you all ready? Yes. Raise your hand if you're ready. You're saying ready for what? Are you ready for the Lord's return? I think that um, we need to ready ourselves. We need to be watching. We need to be ready uh, as Christians that are not going to be caught unaware. That we're going to be uh, on the edge of our seat, so to speak. And we're praying, even so, Lord, come quickly. And Lord, in between that, and before you come back, Lord, would you save those individuals that I've been praying for so they would not have to go through this time that we're reading of in Revelation here, the Great Tribulation. To me, it's real. To me, this is real stuff. And we need, as Christians, to be ready and ready in ourselves for that. Don't get caught up into everything that this world wants to draw you away and draw your attention away from the fact that someday this is going to come to an end. Someday this is all going to come to an end and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And that's the reality of what we're reading here in the book of Revelation. And so turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 21 uh, this morning. I titled the morning's message, The Final Battle, Armageddon. And last week, we spent time looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ in uh, verses 11 to 16. Today, we're going to look at what's really transpiring at the second coming of Jesus Christ, that final battle, that battle of Armageddon, as it's most commonly known, that we're going to talk about this morning. The first time that we saw this battle was back in chapter 14. If you've been here uh, each uh, week through this series, back in 14, I shared that the battle of Armageddon is not going to be just one battle, but it's going to be, we might call it a campaign of battles that's going to take place in Israel at the end of the tribulation period. And so that's our focus, even this morning, is upon this campaign of battles that's going to transpire upon this earth and upon mankind. These battle fronts, we might call them, they're not just limited to one location in Israel. How many of you have been to Israel? One, one person. Uh, great place if, if the Lord ever gives us opportunity. We'd, I'd love to take a group to Israel. I've been there, my wife, Kathy, we've been there once, and it's amazing. It, it opens up your understanding to be able to see. I've got a few pictures I'm going to be showing you today. If you're back there, you may not be able to see them very good, so you might want to move up. But it's important for us to kind of know a little bit of the geography of Israel and how it's laid out. But this campaign of battles, these battle fronts are not going to be, it's really going to be an invasion upon the nation of Israel. 
is what it's going to be at the, in the final days. It's going to be the Antichrist and his armies. And then eventually the nations of the world that are going to come to that place really to fight against God in those final days and final hours, really. It's important to know that Christ's second coming and this final battle that we're going to read about this morning They are all taking place in the same place there in Israel. It's the end of the 70th week of Daniel. Remember that 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy is still yet to come. It's what we call the seven year tribulation period. And so I've got a little timeline uh, that we have. If you can see it. Uh, Next slide, I think. Timeline there, you can see that we are currently on the left side there in the present church age. That's where we are today as Christians. 2,000 years of church history have transpired. You see, the next event is the rapture of the church. That's what we're waiting for. It's why I asked, Are you ready to meet the Lord? And then we see that there's going to be the seven-year tribulation period. It's broken up into two halves. You see the first three and a half years that's referred to as the beginning of sorrows. And then the second half is the great tribulation. In the middle of the tribulation period, you see the desecration of the temple. And we've already talked about that out of Matthew chapter 24. Daniel 9 speaks of it. And then where we are at on the timeline this morning is the return of Christ. We still have, looking ahead, the millennial reign of Christ. We'll talk about that next week. The final judgment that is going to come upon those that have rejected Christ. Those that will stand before the great white throne judgment. And then the eternal state going into eternity. So that's a very simple timeline of the book of Revelation. Following the seven year period, according to Daniel, and it's not on this timeline, but according to Daniel chapter 12, the last three verses of Daniel's prophecy, there's going to be an additional 75 days that's going to transpire at the end of the tribulation period before the thousand year millennial reign of Christ begins. 75 days. It's very specific in the book of Daniel. And many believe that during these 75 days, it's going to be when Satan is going to be bound. It's going to be when the tribulation temple, remember there's going to be a third temple built. We call it the tribulation temple. It's going to be cleansed. Remember the Antichrist is going to set up his image in the temple there, declare himself to be God and demand that he be worshipped as God. It's going to be during these 75 days that the temple will be cleansed. The image of the beast will be removed from the temple. Jesus' government for the millennial kingdom that's to come will be set up. The nations, according to Matthew chapter 25, are going to be judged. The nations will be judged, possibly during this time. The martyred tribulation saints, those that give their life for Christ during the tribulation. 
and the Old Testament saints and now uh, are now going to be resurrected at the end of the tribulation period, maybe into this 75 days. And then that marriage feast that we read about is going to take place, the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the end of the 75 days, when the 75 days are over, there's going to be the millennial reign of Christ, where he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. We're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years here on earth in a place that God is going to bring full circle, what God intended it to be. He is now going to be king over the nations, and we'll read more about that, this millennial kingdom next week. But before we get into our text, let's start for context. Let's start in verse 11 in your Bibles, uh, chapter 19. John says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. That's a victory horse for Jesus Christ as he comes uh, and breaks through the heavens, comes uh, at that last day. He comes on this white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and I believe that's the church, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't that a great name? King of kings and Lord of lords. And now our text this morning, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sat on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." The Battle of Armageddon, as it's been called. That last, final, and great battle at the end of the tribulation period. 
this particular day that's called the Day of the Lord. It has other descriptive names that are given to it. In Isaiah 34, 8, it's called the Day of the Lord's Vengeance. And also in Isaiah 63, 2, a time called the Great Winepress of the Wrath of God. In Joel 2.31, it's the great and awesome day of the Lord. In Joel 3.13 and Revelation 14.15, it refers to as the harvest of the earth. And then in Malachi 4.1, the day is coming, it says, burning like an oven. In Malachi 4.5, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In Revelation 16.14, the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Much is said in Scripture prophetically about this coming day that has yet to come, but it's coming. And this earth is going to find itself in a place like it's never seen before. But for us as Christians, we need to be watching and ready for our Lord's return because then this day of the Lord begins. I have another picture, uh, a map, I think, uh, number four on there. If you can see that, you can see three battlefronts, Megiddo, Kidron Valley, and Edom. You see the whole uh, blue area there, which is the current nation of Israel. There are boundaries today. But it's important for us to know that when we think of the Battle of Armageddon, just one locale, it's really encompassing, really, the whole nation of Israel during this time that the Lord returns uh, to this place. Now, again, this, it's hard. There's a lot of um, various opinions as to the sequence of events of how this will come down in that final uh, battle. But I believe that it's real probable that the first place in which Jesus, when he returns, is going to be the place that he ascended from. Where was that? The Mount of Olives. Jesus ascended up from the Mount of Olives. We're told that he's going to return and his feet are going to plant on the Mount of Olives once again. We can read uh, in the book of Zechariah, the prophet. He prophesied this, by the way, 2,500 years ago. In chapter 14, verse 1, we read, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem on that map is back in the mid, right in the center there. I'm going to gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Notice who's gathering the nations. God is. God is going to gather the nations to battle against Jerusalem, against his people, against his holy city. They're going to come into that city to take every Jew like they've done throughout all of their Jewish history and try to annihilate every Jew. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord, verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. 
And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. Now, I don't know if you've watched history or watched your news. That's never happened. The Mount of Olives has never been split in two. It's coming. It's a future. This is uh, Zechariah prophesying of this day. As he makes a two-point landing on the Mount of Olives, Jesus setting his feet there on the place that he ascended from, we're told that the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all of the saints with you. A prophecy. I think I have another uh, picture. Picture five, if you could put it up there. Uh, pick five. Now, if you can, I'm not sure how well you can see that uh, from back there, but you can see the line, that, uh, yellow line that is um, under the, the one to the right, right under that. That is uh, the Kidron Valley. So if you're standing on the Temple Mount and you walk to the East Gate, you look out the East Gate, you look out it, you're looking at the Mount of Olives. If you walked out that gate and you walked down, you'd walk down into the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is also known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's going to be at that Mount of Olives where the Lord is going to touch his feet down in that day when the Lord returns uh, there. So we have this battle that is going to take place. I believe the first uh, battle front, we might call it, is going to happen, I believe, in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Kidron Valley, right there out the doorstep, if we could say, of the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. Then we have to the south, we have the area of Edom. We have the area of Basra. We have the place where the Jews are going to uh, run to when the Antichrist sets up his image and they're going to go to this rock city of Petra. That's going to be in Edom. We'll, we'll read a little bit about that. And then I believe this final campaign or this final battle will be finished in Megiddo to the north. And so there we have uh, the three, if we want to say, battle fronts uh, there on that map. We also read in the book of Joel in chapter 3 uh, concerning this. It says, Behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, that I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided my land. Now look what the nations have done to Israel. The, Israel has been persecuted. Israel has been in 70 AD when the, the temple was destroyed. 1.1 million Jews were killed. They were dispersed from their land and, and, and dispersed from their land around the whole world and are today and God is bringing them back in 1948 they became a nation again God is bringing them back into their land 
and that, that amount of Jews in the land is growing dramatically year after year. I think there's 6.3 million Jews back in their land today, and it's growing. They expect it to double in the next few years, even in Israel. And so we have this Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's going to be one of the places that the Lord is going to split the Mount of Olives. If you imagine part of it moving to the north, part moving to the south. And then we have uh, also in Matthew's Gospel where it says this about the judgment of these nations. Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 25, 31. Jesus told his disciples, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, think of that, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, comes in his glory and all of the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. This is the picture in which Jesus explained to his disciples how he was going to judge the nations of this world. Of how they really, how they ministered or didn't minister to his people, Israel. And so there's going to be that judgment day, I believe, during that 75 day interval after the tribulation ends. Then we have the second battlefront, which is that area of Basra. Uh, it's Basra's the sheepfold is what it means. And Edom is another, uh, is the region in which Basra exists. But Edom is where the Lord is going to go and come to, to deliver that remnant of his people, Israel, I believe from that rock city, of Petra. I don't think I have a, a picture of that one, but um, we read also in Matthew uh, chapter 24, that prophetic chapter that I keep going back to time and time again. Matthew 24, 15 tells us, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, uh, spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's telling this to his disciples. He's saying, when you see the Antichrist, they won't know him as that, but when, you, when the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple, when that happens, you better flee. And they're going to flee from Jerusalem there, and they're going to flee from Judea, and they're going to flee to the mountains. And where I believe that is, and where most people believe, it's going to be that rock city of Petra to the south of uh, Jerusalem. It goes on to, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Uh, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. In other words, when, that, when this comes down, when the Antichrist sets up his image during the middle of the tribulation period, run quickly, run for your life basically, and it's going to be hard. Pray that you're not nursing. Pray that it's not in, in the time of winter because the travel is going to be difficult as you, uh, as you uh, flee from Jerusalem. And then he goes on and pray that your flight be not in winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. 
Remember what I, on our timeline, the second half? Then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. How bad will it be? I, we won't be here, church, but it's going, to be, it's going to be a terrible day in that day. And that's what the Lord is saying here. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And I believe he's speaking of his people Israel. They are the, his elect. And so are we, by the way, as Christians. But they are his elect. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs, wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so what is the working of the false prophet? To come alongside the Antichrist, to bring deception, and, he, and basically to call out those Jews, don't be deceived by what's going to be coming before you after you flee Jerusalem and you go to Petra and you get a... Don't be uh, deceived by the Antichrist and the false prophet. Also in Isaiah 34... Verse 1 we read, Come near, you nations, to hear, and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown down, the stench shall rise from their corpses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Pretty intense, isn't it? I mean, and the hosts of heaven will be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. That hasn't happened, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. These things have not happened. And this is future. We're reading something prophetic here. All of their hosts shall fall down as the leaves fall from a vine and as a fruit falling from a fig tree for my sword shall be bathed in heaven indeed it shall come down on Edom that's the area that we're talking about the second battlefront it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse for judgment the sword of the Lord is filled with blood it is made overflowing with fatness with the blood of lambs and goats with the fat of the kidneys of rams for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom the wild oxen shall come down with them and the young bulls with mighty bulls their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. This is what God is going to do. And he's going to save a remnant of his people. He's going to deliver them out of that rock city of Petra. Uh, during that second part we might call it of that campaign. The third uh, battlefront. And the last we might call it battlefront. Uh, which by the way won't really be a battle. None of these are really going to be a battle. We call them battles. But it's really going to be God bringing righteous judgment against 
the nations of this world that have come up against his people, Israel. And God is going to intervene. And so we call it a battle, but it's really not the battle of Armageddon. It's where God is going to come and smite the nations of this world and the people that are going to fight against him in that day. It's going to happen on the, in the Valley of Megiddo. And I, I think I have a picture, picture us, nine, I think, uh, might show. You see that present day Tel Megiddo? A tell is a, like a hill. You see that, that was the city that has been unearthed. It's an archeological dig. That's been unearthed, that's Megiddo that overlooks the Valley of Jezreel. Okay, this is where that battle, that final battle, is going to be uh, fought or where the Lord's going to come back and intervene in that time. And so Armageddon, we call it the battle. You know, there's some movies made about Ar everything. And, and you know, the word Armageddon is only found one time in the Bible. But movies have been made. And there's, you know, there's everything about the final battle, the battle of Armageddon. And Armageddon itself actually by name, by Hebrew name, is Har, H-A-R, which is mountain, and then Megiddo, which is the city, the ancient city that you see there. And so we call it the Battle of Armageddon. And it's really the mountain of Megiddo that over, overlooks this valley of Jezreel. How big is the valley? It's been known to, and, and been said to be the most strategic battlefield in all of the world. There have been many battles that have been fought throughout Israel's history in this valley of Jezreel. But it's strategic for the nations of this world to gather themselves together on the plain of Jezreel. It's actually, I think I, uh, the next picture... It's actually, you can see from Haffa, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, all the way over to the Jordan River. Uh, that valley itself is 22 miles wide. It's 14 miles this way, 22 miles this way. That is the battlefield that we're talking about here. We read, uh, which an interesting psalm, uh, it's actually Psalm 2 that speaks about the coming day, the coming battle of Armageddon. Look at your Bibles or turn there. It'll be on the screen too. To Psalm 2. I want to read to you uh, this prophetic psalm speaking of this particular day. You've read it before. Maybe you've never related it to what we're talking about this morning. It says, why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. It's asking a question. The kings of the earth set themselves. And the rulers take counsel together. And who against? Against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying let us break their bonds in pieces. And cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven. I love this. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Can you imagine that people coming up to fight against God? in a battle in the valley of Jezreel. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath 
and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled, but a little, uh, but a little, but are, but are all those who put their trust in him. And so Psalm 2, I believe, prophetically looking also to this battle to this day. We already read from Revelation chapter 14 when we were in that chapter about another picture that the Lord uh, gave to John here. It was John seeing this angel coming out of the heavenly temple. This is the heavenly temple, not the temple here on earth, heavenly temple. He hears him crying with a loud voice to another angel that had a sharp sickle in his hand. And we read in verse 18, thus uh, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Now I have another uh, picture up there, uh, number 11, uh, that will kind of give you a, a little bit of an idea if you can see that. You see the star up there where it starts at Megiddo and then comes all the way down to Basra? And we've talked about this uh, a while back when we were in chapter 14, but that distance is approximately 183 miles. And when we're reading here about the, the blood is going to be up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, it's about 180 some miles long. And so what I believe what we're seeing here is really a hyperbole or what we're reading here, which is an exaggerated to say that what is going to take place during this final conflict, this final battle, if we could call it, is going to be a bloodshed like this world has never seen before. And that's what I believe we're reading here. We read in uh, Revelation 16, 16, and they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. And so let's look a little closer at this text. Verse 17 says, John had this vision. He says, I saw an angel that was standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. And so the first thing John sees in this part of his vision is this angel that is standing in the sun. Now one commentator wrote this of this. 
He says, this shows how bright this angel shines with the glory of God. The angel can be seen even though it stands before the sun. The angel is standing in the light of the sun with the angel himself possibly shining with even greater brilliance. God's glory through this angel standing in the sun. And that's what John is seeing here in his, in his vision. He hears him cry with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. He's speaking about this last and final battle. He's talking about the, the, the bodies, the people that are going to perish during this time. And then two weeks ago when I shared out of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I shared that it's going to be at this marriage supper of the Lamb, which I believe we're all going to be part of, the church age saints, but it's also going to be all of the Old Testament believers that are going to be there. It's also going to be all the people that get saved during the tribulation period that are all going to come to that time that is called uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But today, we're looking at a different supper. And this supper is going to be the supper of the great God. But it has a different guest list. It's not going to be us. It's going to have different people that are on this guest list. In verse 17, when John hears this angel crying out with a loud voice, this is the 13th time that we read in the book of Revelation where this angel is speaking with a loud voice about really bringing forth what's about to unfold, what's going to come upon this earth. And that loud voice speaks of the authority that he stands in as he's about to proclaim each one of the judgments, from the bowl judgments to the trumpet, excuse me, from the seal judgments to the trumpet judgments to the bowl judgments, all three of those start out with an angel with a loud voice about to unleash these plagues upon the earth. But in our text here, this loud voice is again calling for the birds of heaven to come to the supper of the great God. Who's in control of everything? Our God. He's in control of all the everything that moves and breathes. Whether it's a bird or not, here's this angel calling for the birds to come to this feast. Some have thought that the marriage supper of the Lamb is the same as the supper of the great God. But there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between these two suppers. The marriage supper of the Lamb, it follows a hallelujah. And we're all in heaven and we're all... Uh, saying hallelujah, praise the Lord. The Lord's righteous judgments are being executed. But those in heaven are giving glory to God for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's going to be us in heaven. This other supper though, it's not going to be in heaven according to what we're reading here. It's going to be on earth. And those invited are not people, but they're birds. And the fact that this supper follows Jesus returning to earth and striking the nations with the fierceness of his wrath, 
of God Almighty. It's what's going to cause all of these people to be slaughtered. These two sufferers that we see both in chapter 19, one the marriage supper of the Lamb, the other is the supper of the great God. In verse 17, we read that another angel stands in the sun crying with his loud voice, come and gather together for the great, for the supper of the great God. And at this marriage supper of the Lamb, they're all calling and calling out blessed and, and hallelujah. And it's, it's a time of rejoicing, but not in this supper. John hears this, this angel crying out for all the birds to fly into the midst, in the midst of the heaven to come and gather together for this supper of the great God. I, it's interesting because I was reading about bird migration and actually Israel is known as the bird migration capital of the world. And that interesting. Here's something that I read on the Jewish virtual library concerning bird migration in Israel. It's said that Israel is located at the junction of three continents and is crossed by migrating birds on a scale unparalleled anywhere. Studies over the past decade show that about 500 million birds cross Israel, Israel's narrow airspace, twice every year in the course of their migrations. Consequently, Israel has become an attraction for bird enthusiasts worldwide. And because of these massive migrations, it has created a grave safety problem for both the Israel Air Force and the birds when millions fill the skies twice a year. In the spring and in the fall, these birds migrate. Now, I think that's all real interesting when we're talking about this angel calling for the birds to come to this feast upon those that have perished during this last and final battle. Look at verse 18. It says that you may eat the flesh. Why are they called? That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free, slave, both small and great. Sounds like everyone, doesn't it? And that is a way that you can say that all people and all classes of people are going to be drawn to this place. None are going to be excluded. None's going to escape. The day has come. Call for the birds of heaven to come to the feast. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against who? Against him. Against Jesus Christ. To make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And I believe that army also consists of you and I as well as the host of angels. At the battle of Armageddon, those who have 
come to the valley of Megiddo are the kings of the earth. They're going to come with their armies, but they're coming with something very specific when they're being called to fight against God and his armies. I can't even imagine that. I can't even wrap my head around that. How man could even think that he could come and make war with God. But doesn't that tell you something about the heart of man? The depravity of man's heart? How a man could be so hardened that a man would refuse to repent, refuse to turn, but would actually gather in that place the kings of the earth and the armies with them to fight against God in that final battle. But the king of kings and lord of lords is going to pierce that, the heavens, and the sword out of his mouth, and he's going to smite the nations in that day. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, we read, that when the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, uh, look at picture number 10, or 13, excuse me, on there. When the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather, listen, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. You see, it's going to be a deception. You're going to have the Antichrist. You're going to have the false prophet. There's going to be a deception with the kings of the east to gather themselves for this great day of battle against God. We know that that river Euphrates is going to be dried up completely to make way for the nations that are east of it to make their way to the valley of Jezreel, to Israel, to fight in this battle. Look at verse 20. Then the beast, we're told, during this time and during the, really this annihilation that's going to take place of these these nations and kings were told that the beast was captured. Another way we might say is the beast was seized. He was arrested. He was taken into custody. We know those are terms we know. But he was captured. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he, what? He deceived those who received the mark of the beast. Remember the number one thing that Jesus said in Matthew 24? The first sign, the first thing that he warned his disciples about is do not be deceived. Deception will come. You'll be deceived in the first part of that tribulation period when that Antichrist sets up his image in the temple and demands that he be worshipped as God. You better flee. He's going to be coming for your life and they will flee. Deception is going to be the number one thing by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast, notice, cast alive 
into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Cast alive. That tells me that the place of torment, the lake of fire, the place where those that reject Christ will end up is eternal. It's not just the grave. It's not just going to dust. It's going to be an eternal place. Cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. I'm waiting for a cloud. The Antichrist and the false prophet get thrown into the lake of fire. Who's going to win in all this? I hope you're not sitting here just wondering who's going to win in the end. We're already more than conquerors through him who loves us, aren't we? Your victory has already been won at the cross. It's already happened. We stand in the victory of Christ. We're not reading this going and shaking in our boots like this day is coming. I believe we're going to be gone. I don't believe we're going to be here for that. I believe we're going to be coming back with the Lord and we're going to be rejoicing, saying hallelujah when the Lord's righteous, praise the Lord, (laughs) when the Lord's righteous judgments are executed. And look at verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Wow. You see, when we read our Bibles quite often, and specifically when we read the book of Revelation, we don't get every single detail. You're, in a sense, getting the highlights of what's going to transpire. What will the battle of Armageddon look as it spread over the nation of Israel in that day? Probably a lot of details that we don't see here and read about. We're getting the general highlights of what's to come. But it's all God says you need to know. That that day is coming. That that judgment, that that day of the Lord is coming. And so that should not fill us with fear. Unless you don't know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you should be shaking in your boots if you don't receive Receive the Lord. But if you know the Lord. It's hallelujah. It's praise the Lord. Because our God. Our righteous God. Is coming in that day. To judge the nations of this earth. For what they have done. Even to his people. For their rejection of him. And so. Read ahead in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be talking about the millennial kingdom. A lot to be said about the millennial kingdom and what's to come. You're going to be reigning in that kingdom if you're a believer with Christ for a thousand years. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we'll learn more about that next week. We're going to take communion right now. What a wonderful day. Second coming of Jesus Christ. Victory by our Lord and now communion together. Look at your Bibles at Acts chapter 2. Pastor Kyle, he, he read from Acts today. I thought of 
Acts chapter 2 when I was thinking of communion uh, this morning. We know that on that day of Pentecost, that there were 3,000 people that gave their life to Jesus Christ in one day. And one preaching of Peter, 3,000 people responded when they were pricked in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been pricked in your heart by the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit has a good way of pricking our hearts, you know, bring it, making us realize, you know what, I need repentance. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and on that day, 3,000 people, possibly 3,000 plus, but recorded 3,000 people, responded to that message that Peter gave, and they were saved. They were also baptized that day. But one of the things, and people always go back to this text because they always want to say, what did the early church look like? What, what have we evolved into today and what did they look like then? What did the early 3,000, the first people that got saved, uh, what we call the church age, goes all the way back to this day, the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 got saved. What did it look like? How did they act? How did they respond? Look what it says in verse 41. Those who gladly received Peter's word, they were baptized. That's the first thing we see. They were obedient. They got water baptized. Obedience followed their salvation. They were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added. And they continued. Look what it says. And that word continued is worthy of underlining and circling it. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the first thing. They also continued steadfastly in fellowship with one another. Koinonia. They also continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Communion. And the word koinonia is, is translated the same into our English word, fellowship and communion. When we partake of this cup, we're sitting here as a body of Christ in fellowship and communion together. Why? Because we're all here for the same reason. We're all here because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood for us. And we're remembering and we're all sitting here with likeness of mind in communion together, in fellowship together, around the communion table to remember. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship with one another. They continued in the breaking of bread. They continued steadfastly in prayer. And in prayers, it was part of what they did. It should be part of what we do. And I think we do, but God, would you help us, Lord, to see and to know the value of these things. I need teaching. I need to read the Word of God. I need to spend time in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, even more so as you see the day approaching. Don't be one of those people that withdraws as things get tough in the world. There will be many that will do that. There will be many that will fall away. 
And I think as Christians, we need to be gathering together even the more so. We need to be hunkering down together. I need your fellowship. I need your encouragement. I need your prayers. Not withdrawing in doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers that we need to pray more. We need to pray much. There's every reason for you to be a Christian that prays without ceasing. God, would you give me more prayer life? Would you give me more time of talking to you and interceding for others? That's the mode in which we should be uh, living in as Christians in the days that we're in. Just like it was back on that day of Pentecost. Not retreating from that and becoming something a lot less than what we read here. I believe the church was healthy and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. If you're all doing your part, we're going to see people getting saved. Not just here in this building, outside of this building. Because God is going to use you in a powerful way. Let's have the uh, ushers come up and pass out the cup and bread. I think we have somebody to pass it out. We do. Praise the Lord. They're going to come up and pass the uh, cup and the bread. And uh, we're going to, uh, they're going to lead us in some worship. And let's set our hearts right. Let's remember what Christ has done again. Do this until you're with me in my kingdom. Don't stop partaking of communion, Jesus. You know why? Because you're a people that'll forget. You'll forget. And so I'm going to give you something real small here to do. Partake of communion and keep doing it until the day you stand before me in heaven. Because you're a people that'll forget. And so don't forget what Christ has done. Just remember and soul search yourself. And set your heart right. And so...